Yep. We're in it. We're in it. A couple things. Um, one, we want to catch up with you. We just want to dive into topics, see what the hell is going on. Two, many things pop in my head, especially in this time when we're talking like um, the world, the economy. Yeah, I think you're my age-ish. Yeah, I'm 29. Okay, a little younger, but you're in my generation. Uh, talk about like switching jobs, choosing a life. Uh, uh, having hobbies, trying to make money from it. Uh, I think when I first met you, you can always correct me if I'm wrong, um, you were kind of in the engineer path or the engineer world. Mix yep. that in with some strength coaching, some power lifting. Um, you've been around in that game for a very long time, but took that more of a, a, a career hobby path. Uh, and then more recently switched to uh, real estate-y things. Um, and I believe in the in the residential sense. I might be wrong. Uh, no, yeah, and so I, I think this time is so interesting for so many people. We've been talking to a lot of our friends uh, here on the podcast about business and what fitness business might look like in the next couple years, uh, how to run a business as we're opening a gym, and, and many of our friends, uh, people you know as well, the Michael Corey's and, and uh, Joe Sullivan's and people that are kind of pushing through this COVID world um, career-wise, uh, mental-wise, our own personal issues. Uh, but I think I, it's something I admire in you too because you're super smart. Uh, you've been good at a lot of your jobs as far as I know. I'm no engineer, but I know you're a good coach and it seems like real estate's going well. And you still had like the courage in your 20s to kind of jump around where I think our generation was highly pressured. Go to school, pick a career, find that career, and just sit at your desk and drink coffee for the next 30 years. Um and, and and a lot of my friends tried to do that and they couldn't get jobs, right? And so you're yeah. you're you're out here bouncing around trying to find money. I guess we'll we'll dive there. Whatever thoughts come up to you, but um, yeah. How's real estate going right now? Maybe in this weird COVID stuff. How's your fitness stuff going? And how are you, my friend? Uh, well, you know, I'll start with the shortest answer. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Good. You know, Good. it's I'm thankful to be in a position where I don't. You know, my work has been largely unaffected by by this pandemic and all of the kind of hubbub that's going on right now, I don't really have to go out into the world much, which, you know, uh, in this situation is a little bit of a blessing. You know, my lifestyle didn't change all that much except for the fact that, you know, I can't access gyms right now largely, but you know, work wise, I, I've been able to pay my bills and pay my rent and, and kind of continue doing the things that I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked up a couple of side hustles actually through the course of, um, through the course of COVID, uh, this whole period, because of the fact that I just had a bunch of time inherently, of course, with gyms closing, the coaching business took a temporary dip. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I kind of set myself up so I can weather that kind of storm. But, um, yeah, man, I, you know, you hit the nail on the head when we first, when we first like met and hung out, I, w I was an engineer. I was working for a, uh, well, I guess I technically still am. Right. But, uh, you know, I got my degree in mechanical engineering from Cal State Fullerton down here in Orange County and got a job for a small firm in the field of what's called metrology, which is essentially the, the science of measurement. And, you know, it, anytime you buy something that was produced, let's say an Apple watch, for example, uh, by some sort of fabrication process, there's a, there's a quality process in terms of ensuring that all the parts are going to fit together appropriately when it's, when it's put together. Right. And they will pick some percentage of parts to quality check. And as the system gets more refined, they can check less and less. And, and basically the, the job that I did was to help sell as well as build and train on those systems that, that do quality checking. So when we when we had hung out a little bit, I was spending my weekends in Sacramento, which 
is a strange sentence, but um, you know, I, <laughs> I was I was driving to Sacramento, which is substantially better than uh, Fremont, where I was. So I'll say that um, the Indian food is definitely better in Fremont, but um, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I I would come up there on the weekend because I was actually subcontracting for Tesla at that period of time and basically helping to create the quality and ins- the inline quality inspection system for the doors of the Model X. So uh, effectively, that that sounds much sexier than it is. I was uh, basically measuring points in space on these big old robotic fixtures, and it was extremely mundane work, but. I get to say something that sounds really cool for forever. And you're best friends with Elon now? Are you going into SpaceX with him and hanging out? You know, actually, he calls me on a regular basis. I thought so. He's like, what, Hanny, what should I tweet today? <laughs> how, how can I manipulate this stock price? Give me, give me your best insights. And... Um, but, you know, I mean, the guy's obviously a visionary, but uh, as is the case with pretty much all of those billionaire visionaries, he's a dick. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, n- nobody really gets to that level without, without you know, stepping on some toes and being a little bit of an asshole. You have to have a certain type of selfish resolve in addition to the brilliance. You know, right. obviously he's a brilliant guy, but you have to be able to, you know, kind of farm out your work to people who are willing to work for the least money so that you can stay profitable along the way. A company like Tesla you know the, now that they're producing a car that average people can afford uh, with the the model 3 and I say average people loosely right that's $35,000 right. entry but let's just say that that's a, a, a mid-range price for for an average family car these days which I think is reasonable for a new car and um you know prior to having that having only the $100,000 model S available or $80,000 wherever it started that wasn't really a product that was accessible to the masses and you know when you're selling a luxury product Unless you're selling three times as many, or excuse me, uh, unless you're selling a third as much for three times the price, it's just it's just not profitable the same way. So they they needed to make something that caters to the masses, and I think they did a great job. I think that honestly, I think they're fantastic vehicles. Uh, all of the kind of gas burning gearhead elitists don't love them, uh, and you know I, I kind of identify as one of those people. But as an engineer, as a as somebody who does care about the environment, it's I see that that's where we're headed. And they, you know, they're, they're really cool vehicles. And, uh, I kind of am grateful for the opportunity I had to kind of get in, get some insight into that. The, their factory in Fremont is actually in what used to be the, what was called the Numi factory, mm-hmm. which was a huge joint venture, I believe between Ford and Toyota, or maybe it was GM. I don't remember, but it was the first co-owned, uh, Japanese American production factory and it's giant. I mean, you could spend 20 minutes walking from one side of the building and not get to the other side. It's enormous. But anyway, so I was, uh, you know, I worked there and I, I was doing the strength coaching along the way, the powerlifting coaching pretty much since I was in college. I started doing that about a year and a half before I graduated in 2014 and uh, joined the strength athlete and I've basically been with them since day one. And over time, I started to realize that you know I wasn't having a lot of love for what I was doing in the engineering world, and recognized that unless I wanted to start my my own company fabricating something or kind of try to invent something, right, which sounds awesome in theory, but my you know that's uh, in theory is is really the operative part of that sentence. There's a ton of work and a ton of failures that go into that, and I didn't want. I didn't really want to blaze my own path on the, on that front, um, so I, I you know I, I ended up doing the math and 
figuring out the amount of time I needed to do both my coaching and the engineering job to pay off my student loans. And the month I remember sending in the payment for my final student loan payment and I put in my notice of my engineering job the next day. Mm. And, you know, that was kind of my, my leap as, as it were. Yeah. And that's, I think where, where a lot of people drop the ball these days is that they're not really willing to take a leap into something that is not secure in the traditional sense. But I, I don't think that we really live in a world where being loyal to companies pays the same way that it used to. Um, <laughs> and uh, maybe I'm talking to two people who are great examples of that, but it's, it it's, you know, our parents' generation. Uh, actually, I, I for a period of time worked in the engineering department at UPS as well, and there were people who had been there for decades because it's a great company to work for, or was anyway. Um, it still is if you're a union member, but when you're on the engineering side, you're typically in management, so you're non-union, so you lose, lose out on a lot of those benefits. And if you haven't worked for a union company and in the management level, I, I do not recommend it. They pay you pretty well, but the hoops you have to jump through are unbelievable and the things you can get criticized and in trouble for are extensive. But, um, you know, the, I, I talked to some of the, the people who had been there for 20, 30 years, even in the management roles, and they had accumulated all these stock options and built up all of this wealth and the company had really rewarded them and accelerated them through the ranks. But those upper echelon positions are very saturated, yeah. and a lot of times they're they're, they're hiring externally for those. Uh, maybe not so much with UPS specifically, but the the idea that you can work with a company and they will reward you to build you up the ladder, it's just not really accurate in a lot of cases anymore because they can replace you with somebody who's cheaper, who will do the job the same because if it's some base level position, why are they going to give you a 5% annual raise when they can just outsource to an international first year engineer and pay them 40% less? And that's just one employee. And when you talk about a company like Tesla, for example, you're t it's tens of thousands of employees and suddenly you're talking about seven, eight figures a year. Yeah. Maybe maybe even nine in, in in just salary savings, and those things really start to add up. And is that the best way to run your business from a from a standpoint of wanting people to like you? No. But on the flip side of that, I I have enough of a, an understanding of what it's like to make financial decisions for people around you and how they'll impact yourself that sometimes you unfortunately have to make those calls. And, you know, I'm, I'm of two minds about it. You look at the, the Bezos types, the Elon Musk types, and obviously they're very highly criticized for Bezos is the one who comes to mind for being very highly criticized for how he treats his employees, uh, particularly the warehouse employees for Amazon. Uh, I, you know, that I, it's notorious for being awful and underpaid, but ultimately you know, those positions fill yeah. and, and, and why, if the positions are filling as they are, where's the incentive for the company to make those positions any more attractive? So it's, it's a, it's kind of a free market on that front. And that kind of dictates shitty work environments, unless you've been with the company for a ton of years. And even then you're going to probably end up as a Michael Scott in middle management and, and just, kind of having aspirations for greater things, trying to do the best you can, but eventually finding out that you're kind of shit out of luck and stuck in that same keyhole inevitably. Yeah, there's no terms, you know? So if you've been with the company in the 80s, you end up middle management, or, or maybe you work your way up to executive stuff. That does mm -hmm. happen, but it's the people that have been there 30, 40 years and never leave because their job's kind of plush. And then 
the other hand is the political brotherhood of whatever. Uh, I'm now GM or whatever at Tesla. Like, oh, Andy's pretty smart. Come on, dude. We need you, you know, and I hire you opposed to ranking people up the system. And yeah, whether right or wrong, I think you're, you you did a really good job of just kind of explaining it, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> it is a kind of a double-edged sword. Well, a lot of big uh, corporations used to have fairly defined career paths. Right. And I think it's just that's just gone. Well, some of those were new, too. Like, And again, it's anecdotal, but you, I think you did a great job explaining, too, that like it used to kind of be that. And I don't know because I was younger and I didn't get to talk to my dad on the level of business business as I was older. But I know in the 80s, he got a job at a big insurance company. He performed the best in sales, performed the best with customer service, and he just started to rise. He was the, you know, kind of like a Wolf of Wall Street-ish kind of Mm -hmm. vibe is what I at least imagine in my head is he sold a bunch of shit and the executives liked him because he's nice and worked his tail off and he moved his way up and made a lot of money in the 80s. But then the 90s came and they started kind of more like you said, they find, well, if so-and-so could do this job or we could have pay 10 guys 10 bucks an hour to make the same phone calls, well, now your position starts to be a little less important. (laughs) Now it's just a numbers game. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the 80s, I worked with some people who would come up through systems like that. They're like um, Procter and Gamble, Gamble yeah. and IBM and stuff like that that had those really defined paths, and none of them kept going yeah. in the way that they thought they were going to. Yeah. Um, like my, my boss back then ended up uh, leaving the business world altogether and going to education. She just became a, you know, became a teacher at a, at a university, and uh, another one went to <laughs> went to a crazy engineering firm that was making something literally like uh like a magical device that would cause power plants to make more power than they were supposed to be able to yeah. like you like know a like supercharger yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh, stuff like that instead of actually sticking in with IBM or yeah. or Procter and Gamble or whatever you know and i think that's the decisions right you you go and do your own thing you, yeah. you, either way, you're going to have to grind this thing out. Right. You're going to grind it out for yourself and what you want to do, which I think is we're going to Handy Story next is the next step. You grind it out for somebody else and yeah. pray you work your way up. Or you just say like, all right, I can live off of this amount of money in this lifestyle. I'm going to grind it out and maybe I grow and maybe I don't, but I'll just sit this till I'm 60, then retire in golf. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you hit, you hit the nail on the head with kind of the distinction there between grinding it out for yourself versus grinding it out for somebody else. Ultimately, if you are an employee of somebody else, it has to make financial sense for them to pay you in order for you to remain on that payroll. You have to be producing more than you're costing. Yeah. More than more than you cost. Is costing a word? I don't know. It is not. Uh, you have to produce more than you cost. And, and which is completely logical, right? And and what that what that margin is is you know, let's say more structurally defined depending on how much money that company is worth and whether or not they're publicly traded. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole different discussion, the concept of publicly traded companies and how that influences things and shareholders. And obviously that becomes uh, an entirely different discussion that could go into politics, which I am not educated on. And so I try not, I try not to speak too much. I, I pay my taxes and, you know, I, I say my sacrament to, uh, whoever, whoever's in charge at that point in time. And, and, it's, and, that's a, that's all I can really do, you know. But the the idea is that somebody else owns your success if if you work for another company, and you're you're essentially hoping that out of their generosity they will say, you know, I think I can give you more money for this same thing. And, and it's it's unfortunate, but it 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 kind of is what it is. And, and so 
you know, I recognize that. And I was having a conversation with somebody who I'm no longer friends with, but the, the guy that got me into real estate and he, you know, just the way he broke it down to me and I knew this guy and he was, let's just say he didn't take a lot of initiative to be active pursuing things in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a long winded way of saying he was kind of a lazy dude sure. and, and he was crushing it in real estate and he was 26. And I, I just saw him and I just thought to myself, if him, why not me? You know, the, why, why can he do it? Or why could he do it if I couldn't? Same, same way that I would look at anybody at the highest levels, right? In the, in the, in the same office that I'm in currently in my, in my real estate brokerage, there's the number two West Coast or maybe number two Coldwell Banker in California agent. And he has this team of 25 or 30 agents that work under him. Guy sells $500 million of real estate a year at an average commission of about two and a half percent. You can do the math on that. And, and so it's a lot, dude makes a, a ton of money. And, and you know, the, some people look at that and think, eh, I don't want to work that hard. But for me, it's, 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 well, if he can do it, why couldn't I? Yeah. You know, obviously, obviously there was some path there. And at some point he was a struggling neophyte, not unlike myself. And he climbed the ladder and built the systems to get himself there. And now he basically owns this, self-perpetuating machine that that creates business for him and has a team of people that he passes it out to and effectively he you best believe he still busts his ass right no nobody nobody gets to that level and isn't working like crazy and that's that i think is the largely lost thing right is is that a lot of, especially in this digital instant gratification generation that we've grown up as right i i don't really much remember a time without the internet. Uh, it's, you know, we had dial up from about when I was, I don't know, five ish. Um, and back when Bill Gates invented the internet, right? Uh, I think that was, that was the thing people used to say. Um, but, uh, just to be clear, I'm not saying that's a fact. I, I know. <laughs> They're going to get you, dude. <laughs> there, were, there, were, there were air quotes on that for anybody <laughs> yeah, listening to the audio the version that- of this particular <laughs> It's about the time that he invented injectable microchips or something like that. Yeah. Yep. All that. Yep. 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 He's been he's been using those since then in his vaccines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So they to, can be traced track like you can't, like you can't be traced and tracked off your phone that everybody carries yeah, or like every a, camera on every road. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, it's well, that's the same conversation as uh, you. You'll find that a lot of the people who are the anti-mask folks are the same ones who are complaining about facial recognition technology, and it's. The, the disconnect there, it's not lost on me. Yeah, hold on. Let me use my face ID to, to pay for um, my yeah, groceries. My Starbucks. My Starbucks, my pornography. Right. But, you know, you know whatever. Yeah, no and one, in, no the ba- tri- in the background, a- Apple's like, no, no, man, we promise we won't, we won't yeah. store Fingers your face crossed. anywhere. <laughs> Trust us, dude. And, and you, know, you know, who reads the terms and conditions and really knows what they're signing up yeah. for? I'm sure somebody has, but. Yeah, not me. Not me. Except, nope. except, <laughs> nor, nor except. me exactly. I'm like, please just get get this the fuck out of my face. <laughs> yeah, just, I'm just I'm hoping my shit turns on. I'm not, yeah, I'm not reading shit. Yeah, I think that yeah, what we're, we're talking about too, though, is uh, I think is is a downside of business, and that is that the loss of institutional loss of institutional memory. Where if you don't actually value keeping employees for a longer period of yeah. time, you lose what they know. Sure. Uh, there's a this sort of fundamental tenet that I didn't know about until mm, this last year that part of what we lose when somebody in our life dies is they you lose the 
memories that they're carrying around for you. Yeah. Things that you don't remember as clearly as they do when they were there. And you say, hey, what happened with this when we did this? It's like, oh, it was like this. And you don't have that person to go to anymore. That's magnified in an institutional situation. People are not as interchangeable if they've been with a company for a period of time. Yeah, and I do think that's like a side note. Uh, an experience in certain industries or certain jobs, career paths, do, does matter more than some. And then going to real estate, I think that's always been interesting. One, I just always found it interesting personally. Like even this morning, I was just looking at houses in Sacramento and prices, and I've just watched it for, I did buy a house two years ago, but I've been watching it for like six years, just kind of out of shits and gigs. I think it's cool, and I like houses um but it's kind of a career path i think that meshes that line of whether you want to call it entrepreneurship or whatever you want to do where you even mentioned the guy who's the broker now well he worked his way there we're like you go mcdonald's you can make the best fucking french fry and you can ask for overtime and you can do all this stuff but or experience Mm -hmm. but the burgers come half made there's not a lot of experience to just flip a burger that's half made. Not experience just shaking the fry thing. And I know that's an extreme example that I'm using. Obviously, shipping fries to, you know, uh, as complicated as it turned into now buying a house. Holy shit. Talk about not reading fine print. My, I needed a cast on my hand after I had to sign all those fucking papers. But uh, so there's a lot of like law and stuff involved, obviously, with real estate and rules and, and regulations. But point is, even like a selling job, you know, like something my dad, I worked in the insurance world. Like you're something experience doesn't matter as much anymore um, and then some things are more corporate corporate mm-hmm. it's a spectrum and I know mm-hmm. that sounds stupid because we just claim that with everything we ever talk about now in 2020 but it is a spectrum and you, the real estate seems to fit if you want to kind of work for yourself in a sense well, I mean, a hundred percent that's that's kind of the the what really attracted me I like that I haven't really had a a boss from a in a traditional sense for you know since basically 2015 now I decided to step out of the more corporate world and you know I went through a period where I was I mean I was a bum for a period of time I was I was staying up till two three in the morning getting up at one in the afternoon uh, basically would work for whatever period of time it took on that day and I would train and then I would do nothing I watched a lot of Netflix for a period of time there and you know, it was one of those things where at first it's awesome, right? You're, you're, you don't have anybody to report to, you don't have to do anything. You're, you're getting paid, you're doing your job. And that was the thing though. I was, I was always doing a good job at what I was doing to pay my bills. And I, I, I never shortchanged the effort on that front, but outside of that, without the structure of a traditional corporate day, it actually kind of threw off my whole life. It was really, it was really shocking uh, to to see how much that impacted everything else that was going on and how that shifted my schedule. And um, it, it, it took a, a fair degree of discipline and, and kind of forcing myself to maintain a little bit more of a rigid schedule for me to lead what feels like a normal life. Um, and now with with real estate, the cool thing is that you have no boss and you have nobody to report to and nobody's tapping you on the shoulder. However, that is also a huge negative because if you want to just pay your monthly brokerage fees and not do anything, nobody's ever going to say boo. Nobody, nobody gives a single damn. And and so that's, you know, a a lot of people, for example, Mike, you you bought your house two years ago in Sacramento. Um, do you, do you mind if I ask approximately how much it cost? Uh, like the 600 range. Okay. So, uh, you know, if you had wanted to get your real estate license, which is an extremely low barrier for entry. Passing that test is very easy. And I mean, is it, it, you have to study for an extended period of time, but the test itself, not that hard. And so the, to get to become a licensed real estate professional is, is 
not hard. And to join a brokerage, pretty much any brokerage will take you, right? They're charging a monthly fee for all of the little tools they provide you with for your error and omissions insurance and for access to their legal team if you need it. They'll collect your money. They don't care. But let's just say you wanted to buy your house and you wanted to turn around and you think, all right, why should somebody else get paid that $15,000 commission on that house? I should, I should get that and I should push that towards my down payment or put it towards home improvements or closing costs or whatever that might be. So you decide to get your license and then you think, hey, I could totally do this real estate gig. But you're also working another job because you still have bills to pay. And, um, you know, as a, as a, as somebody who doesn't have a dual income household, you, you know, it's, those bills have to get paid. You can't just stop working. So you think, all right, I'll do this as a side hustle, and it eventually just fizzles. There's a there's a tremendous num tremendous percentage of people who get into real estate who burn out in yeah. the first three years. Three years is kind of the window. That that seems to be the window for a lot of businesses. If they can make it past the three year mark, they can sustain. Where most people burn out by that third year, it's like ninety percent. I mean, just in Orange County currently, I think there's something like forty thousand licensed agents. So. You know, wow. you, you, yeah, you throw a rock in any direction, you're going to hit an agent in the forehead and there's, but like anything else, it's kind of an 80, 20 rule. 80% of the business is done by probably 20% or less of the agents. Yeah. I was going to ask, do you have the stat on how many houses are sold in a year in Orange County? Just a Oof. rough guess. I, I could find out. I don't even know what that number is offhand. You divide that by forty thousand. I I just would guess it's less than forty thousand. <laughs> it, it's it it is probable, but it would blow your mind that some of these people are doing a hundred, hundred and fifty of those deals yeah. a year with their teams. Yeah. And and they're, you know, are they necessarily better per se? No. They just built the systems to be yeah. successful and to sustain themselves. And you know, in, in terms of building personal wealth, there are probably. For somebody starting with very little experience who has a decent personality, there's maybe no no simpler path than doing some kind of sales, uh, some kind of sales that has uncapped commission and sells a product that people want, right? And homes are obviously the cliche American dream, white picket fence. Um, you know, you come to Orange County and it's more like thousand square foot, one bedroom, one bathroom, half million dollars sort of white picket fence dream. But, you know. <laughs> owning your own property is the idea. Yeah. And, and, and so you're, you're kind of selling that dream and it's, it's a matter of, of getting people to, to want to use you instead of the 39,999 other agents, uh, most of whom are just not very good at their job. So it's challenging. It's the, the barrier to entry is extremely low. I think too low, to be honest with you. And it's very easy to not do anything and to just, for it to just cost you money. So, and, you know, I, I have been fortunate to, because of my background in the service industry, I, I was, I was bartending all the way up until about two years ago. And I waited tables for seven or eight years before that. And I worked in, in an out burger, you mentioned fries. I worked in, in an out burger before that. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem working in basically the service or sales industry. Uh, so it's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of preset with the skill set for that, but not everybody is. It would, it's without getting too deep into the specifics of my daily ongoings. Some people are just unpleasant. You know, it's it's like anything else, right? You, some people you just don't want to deal with, and uh, I, again, you you guys are familiar. It's just sometimes you just butt your heads with those people. So. I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by people who are pretty empowering and support me and, and are there for me when I need to seek out questions. And I think that's that's kind of a big thing that that is is lost these days as well is the idea of having a mentor to do something. There's there's nothing lost by finding somebody who's done what you want to do 
and seeking the guidance of that person to help you figure out that path. And you may not end up taking the path that they that they suggest for you. And most of the time they won't care, right? Because they are much too focused on their own success to give a damn about whether you do or do not follow the path. But a lot of times those people are willing to help. Um, and, and so it's inspiring. Uh, it's equal parts immensely frustrating and inspiring. But real estate's an interesting field where you can leverage your time better. I love coaching and I, I don't plan to stop it's it's something that I really enjoy, but I want for it to go back to something that I do because I enjoy, not something that I do because I need to pay my bills. Yeah. And I think that each individual athlete that I work with is going to get a bigger piece of me if I'm not if I don't have any kind of monetary thought in the back of my mind. Sure. Of course, it's an exchange of goods for services, but it's I think I can just do better for them. Yeah, yeah. If I do that, and the, and and that allows me to just have a smaller group of athletes that I work with, and uh, you know, I I do plan to maintain my position within USA Powerlifting. I'm one of the head coaches for one of their world championship teams, which has been just an absolute pleasure. Uh, so that you know, fortunately, that doesn't require a tremendous amount of time outside of maybe three or four weeks a year, but but it's it's all of those things that I love doing that I want to continue working with athletes and meets working with kind of a select group of people who are really passionate. Uh, I especially love coaching women. Uh, I think that too many, especially in the coaching business, egos are just massive, right? And in the world we live in, the way men treat women is garbage. And so when you take these massive egos and you combine it with the power dynamic of a coach and an athlete, and then you also add to that that most coaches are men, a lot of women who seek out coaching don't get treated very well. And um, I find that when you just give them some basic fundamental human respect, uh, you you get so much just joy and loyalty out of out of athletes and, and willingness to do the work. And frankly, they work harder than men do a lot of the time. So anyway, yeah, a lot more coachable. I would agree with that on my hundred percent. I mean, all you have yeah. to do is just be nice, and, and <laughs> you you can go so far. Yeah. And, and I, I have been very fortunate to 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 work with a lot of really awesome, really strong just really dedicated and driven women over the years and uh, shout out to any of them listening to this. I love you guys. Yeah. Everything you described uh, just hits so many notes on, on the process of becoming uh, a real estate agent or, or the process of, of being successful when you're selling a house or whatever. It, it is really just entrepreneurship uh, just in a different sense and a slightly more regulated system than I'm starting a business. I do whatever the fuck I want. Um, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, but but everyone, every I don't know if it's 2020, I don't know if it's our generation, I don't know if it's maybe just even the circles the three of us kind of live in and what I read on Twitter and Instagram. Like, being an entrepreneur is just, like, the cool thing to do. Um, it makes you cool, you have your AirPods in, you're driving your convertible, and there's hot chicks all around you, and so everyone wants <laughs> to start a business. Um, but it's not for everyone. And I know that sounds like I'm being a hater, not the life guru that you followed on Twitter, but like, it's just not. You, you, like you said, like even yourself, you found yourself a little lost. And I found those times in my early 20s too, where I was just waking up buying like, is when they first came out, the keg of monster is like with the, the spaceship top that would go like, yeah. and I would just play yeah. Call of Duty for like eight hours. I took two classes at junior college and I coached high school basketball making $300 and that was it for like six months. And that, I think, is a little bit of a natural human mm. growth to, to, like, look in the mirror and be like, you are lazy, and then you change it. Um, and gladly, for both of us, it happened in our 20s rather than 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. But the point is, a lot of people can't just set their own schedule. 
Um, and we're raised that way as Americans in a lot yeah. of places in the world, from kindergarten through potentially college. You choose your own classes in college, but they're setting your schedule. There's only classes between like eight and eight. Like you choose them, you show up, you don't show up, you fail, your parents yell at you. You're always set into this system to follow someone else's schedule, graduate college, you get a job, whether it be in and out or, or a corporate world, and they're telling you, show up at this time, work at this time, this is your free time. Um, but now you're a real estate agent. Now you're an online coach by yourself. Now you're starting a business, whatever it might be. And if you don't set your own parameters, your own systems, like you said, I mean, that's what, and I know that's very engineering of you and I'm not very engineering, but that that's how I think as well. All right. We're doing all this stuff. Let's start doing it. And then how can I just slightly optimize each little step so I, I don't waste two hours over here? I can only do an hour over here. And how do I, you know, and I just set up systems everywhere too. And and I'm probably not as efficient as you or in your brain, but my systems get better than my old systems. And then running businesses for a couple of years, they get better and better and better and better and better. And then either you delegate and hire people and goes back to our other conversation. How do you do that? Give them value while well, keeping value. Uh, or you do it yourself and just optimize it to the fullest. Um, and if you don't have that kind of energy to put into your company or to put in yourself or your own job for maybe the three year mark is that even for starting your own company, you know, because, cause then you can hopefully be financially steady enough that you know the trends in the year, you know, the trends in your business and you can hire someone, uh, or you just do it the rest of your life, which is fine too. Um, you don't always have to scale your business, you know, like it, it, you find where you're comfortable living. You find, like you said, all right, I want to scale my real estate to this. So then I can coach in this capacity and enjoy it rather than the financials of it being 50, 50 or whatever it might be. And that's the same with regular business. I want to enjoy my life this much. Can I make this much money doing what I want to do and how I can optimize it? Um, and I just don't think people understand that. They think like, I want to work for myself. I hate my boss. He's a douchebag. And I want those hot chicks in my Corvette. <laughs> like, and then they just start posting on Instagram to start a business. Yeah. Well, right. And, and and I want to buy the Corvette to put the hot chicks in. Yeah. That's, you have to. Or, yeah. or lease it. You, you could definitely lease it. Sure. Um, it's, it's a good option. Or, or just rent it long enough induction. for... Rent it long enough to take uh, Instagram pictures. Yeah, week then, long. Yeah, and then give yeah, her back. Yeah, yeah. It's all so sad, but like it happens. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> like, that's for sure. It absolutely does happen. I think that um, uh, something. It just actually plays off a, a question that we we got a couple of weeks ago. Like, how do you know you're you're cut out to be an entrepreneur? I think part of it is is if you have the vision to see the big picture of what a company actually does what is what its role in the industry is how it how it interacts with the customer whatever and you're one of those people that is uh kind of going the extra mile all the time you probably should be an entrepreneur and not work for somebody else yeah because you're going to give more than you're technically going to get paid yeah and and maybe even more than um they see your that you are worth yeah. And, you, you, and it you can should be simple. Be, you should be investing in yourself. And, uh, and yeah, those. I agree. It could be simple. If we're all real estate agents and, and someone just fires out like, hey, looking to buy a house, looking to buy a house to three different companies, who's going to answer the first? Who's going to answer the nicest? And who's yeah. going to respond quick? Like now you have an upper edge. And, and that's like one thing of these systems to make it complicated. But that that wins. That wins. We're going through the same thing with equipment companies right now. We're going through the same thing with all these different uh, manufacturing and stuff, trying to build our clothes. Whoever's like nicest and easiest to talk to is probably who's going to get my money. And if you do that over and over and repeatability of it, now now you can build a lifelong career. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's you, you mentioned something that is 
vastly uh, underappreciated, and that is the concept of somebody who answers their phone when you call. Dude, I was just bitching with Brad Loomis at 3DMJ on uh, Twitter together. I was like, bro, I think I just tweeted out, like, I've never dealt with customer service so bad in my fucking life, and I get it. Everyone's mental health is a little, everyone's on edge. COVID's weird. Life's a little weird. I understand you're probably stressed, but are you so fragile now you just got to be a bitch to everybody on the planet because you, you came up uh, the first like obstacle in your life? Like, holy shit, dude. He, he just tweeted me back. He's like, I don't know what it is. I've had the worst customer service the last three months. I was like, me too. And I don't know. And, and, and like people scoff at like different jobs or whatever. Like I was just selling gym memberships in my 20s and, and my parents like raised me right. I like to think and I was just nice to people. How am I going to get this guy to get a gym membership? Like you said, like how are, some people you just don't want to talk to. But if you want to talk to you, I'm more likely to rearrange a, 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 a you know a showing to see a house. Like yeah, I could kind of like this house, but you know, Hannah will take me. Like he's cool to talk to, anyways. Might as well just go let him let me in the house rather than my real estate real estate agent's a bitch. I don't like talking to him. I'm probably just going to like skip on that house and maybe not even see it. Yeah, and there's 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 really something to that. It's it's about likability. If you're if you're generally a likable person, you can do pretty well in sales because you can you can teach all of the all of the skills that actually create business. And yeah. you know, prospecting is kind of the biggest challenge in real estate is is basically finding people who want to buy houses, right? Because they're most of them are these days, especially just going on Google, typing in you know realtor Newport Beach, and um, which if you do search for that, my name does come up, which is kind of cool. But there you go, uh, SEO optimization. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's how people find things these days is on the internet. And so how do you get yourself in front of them? How do you make yourself first of mind for, for anything really? And, you know, the, the word entrepreneur, I think is kind of loaded right now. It, it, everybody thinks that entrepreneur lives are just like driving around in your, in your Corvette or your convertible Audi or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that, that you define as that object that you need to have. And, you know, maybe some some girl in a bikini sitting elevated on the back seat and taking photos and rolling by in slow motion like a rap music video. Yeah. But it's <laughs> I've been I've been working for myself a while and I still I still haven't had that day. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. I'm I'm waiting for it. I'm really waiting for it. Um Actually, speaking speaking of uh, the that that guy in my office, I was talking about and sells a ton of real estate. He he took this listing on on the waterfront in Newport. It was a forty million dollar house, and uh, and the guy hired Fetty Wap to make a promo <laughs> music video to help sell this house. That's amazing. And, and and I mean that that was that moment. That was when yeah. you know girls and convertibles and slow motion and music playing. That's when that happens. Is is when you're selling a house that has an uh, an eight hundred thousand dollar commission for yeah. for the agent that's listing it. Is when you can do things like hire a really really mid tier auto tune rapper to come and make <laughs> your your your, your uh, promo video. But that's just not what entrepreneurship looks like. Working for yourself is is not, it's a lot of, it's a lot of mundane work. It's a lot of asking for business. And I think that's the thing that really trips people up is that, you know, you, uh, to quote, uh, what is it? Michael Scott, uh, who quoted Wayne Gretzky, hundred percent of the shots you don't take. And, And that's, that's true. You're, you're, it's, this applies in sales. This applies in dating. This applies in everything. If you never ask you, it's not going to come to you. And, you know, these people make these business pages and put entrepreneur in their bio and start selling business coaching. And the most that they've ever sold is, you know, fat burners over the counter at a GNC. And, And that's, that's fine. 
bless you for working. And that's, that's really what it comes down to is do the work, pick something, stick to it, get good at it. You don't even really need to be that good at it. You just need to be consistent and, and you're able to create something and whether or not that will afford you a Fetty Watt music video is, is a, is a different question entirely. But the idea is that nobody wants, everybody wants all of the reward and none of the work. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like a lottery approach to trying to start a business. Um, you, you see people selling, it was Herbalife years back. I can't tell you how many people uh, were, were trying to get me on the freaking Herbalife train. Uh, how many conversations I've had with people in the gym that were just casual, just random people who come up to you at the gym. I always suspect something strange when somebody make, <laughs> take my headphones off at the gym now. And I've had people try to sell me life coaching. I've had people try to sell me mentorship programs. I've had people try to get me into selling Herbalife, joining their pyramid scheme. Uh, I see people with Arbonne now is, is kind of the, the yeah. big one, I think. And, and, you know, smart people up at the top, right? Creating this structure that fools people into thinking they can make money selling these garbage products. But it's it's ultimately the person at the top of that is the entrepreneur. Yeah. Not, yeah, I think you bring up good low. points that, title into where we've been talking almost purely x and o's like dollars how to work for yourself and all that and me personally and and i i i believe with you uh jim a lot of uh, of our good friends i think barquan and omar and bryce lewis and all of these business owners have done things um with not just the dollars in mind you're not selling herbalife you're not you're not going to lie and sell a, a, a shit house for a million dollars. Like one, cause that would be obvious, but two, you know, you're, you're selling things of value for their value. Um, and that's up for t- interpretation on any level, but, and not to again, bash Herbalife, uh, fuck at Herbalife, but those things where the moral line is drawn. And uh, to me, it just means you don't want to do the work and you're finding the easy way out. Okay. I'm 25. I have no, uh, psychological uh, master's or degree. I have no business master's degree or or experience or uh, uh, repeatability in my processes. How can I make money? I'm just going to charge Jim and, and, and he three grand a month and maybe I'll give him some advice on their businesses and try to pretend like I, you know what I mean? Make like, it look at like there's a system in place that it makes everybody succeed and sell that because people don't have their own idea. And I have no proof of it and I want the easy way out where yeah. I don't have to do a lot of work. I just get on a Q&A with you here and there and, and, and make it go. And, yeah. and, and it, we saw it in fitness via Herbalife. We've seen it in fitness via online coaching. Uh. Like... Uh, yeah, I only had a certification. I, I dropped out of college, but I wanted to have a, a, some like what people would consider like a uh, you know a, a global base of knowledge. This NASM certification that's semi-respected, and then I waited like five, ten years of experience, experience getting a mentor, learning all these things before I like said, all right, like I think I can coach some powerlifting. You know, I didn't just watch one Omar Isoff video and then hop in and start giving dietitian advice left and right. Like it just doesn't make sense. So I, what my point is. It goes back to employees. It goes back to setting up a system. It goes, you can find ways to do business. Now, this becomes more difficult, obviously, but to like throw your morals in there. And I know that's crazy to you people out there. <laughs> you know, I, I understand we have bills to pay. I have bills to pay too, but I've just never been a part or wanted to be a part of something where it started to stretch my morals or stretching what I believe in, or whether it be a product, a person, a, a system that I don't think is fairly priced for the value that I don't think helps the purchaser just as much as it helps me. And I think that is the last piece of the longevity. 
Um, it's okay to be to be motivated by money. And if you're truly motivated by money, like truly deep down, and I think some people are, not as many as people think, then I think you can get far in life. But I think the majority of people are, are motivated by the idea of money. They're not actually motivated by money. And if you're motivated by passion, it sounds like, you know, for you, it's, it's, it's working for yourself. It's, it's, it's following and proving to yourself that you can do what these other people have done. Like, that's the passion in it. It's not you getting Fetty Wap in your next, you know, the, the listing. But that'd be sick. That'd Those be are the cool. benefits. <laughs> Those are the benefits. Maybe Soldier Boy would come back. He's on Twitch now. He's trying to make a comeback. He'd be an easy listing guy. But... If you follow what your passion is, and for me, it's just creation. I want to create something cool, and I know deep down, and this, you guys can roll your eyes, but like, I want to be acknowledged. And it seems like I have like daddy issues. My parents are great. I don't know why. I like being like, hey, good work, Mike. And I want a genuine good work. I want it because I did good work. So I put in a level 20 good work so I can get a pat on the back for a level 10 good work. And that's like my go. You know, that's my go. And if your go is money, props to you that's awesome if your goal is you love italian engineering and all you want is a ferrari right but that's because you like italian engineering not because you want the girl in the bikini to get the instagram likes it right that's all this superficial stuff that's why you don't last three years because you're going based on this this idea rather than like this deeper soul of and i sound like a fucking guru now but i just don't know how else to explain it uh <laughs> without like loving and it, it, that's cliche too i love what you do and you never work a day in there and shut the fuck up no, it's all it, work it's all work but yeah, I, I never liked that phrase. but i think you'll last i think you'll last and then i think you that's another piece of like fitting the puzzle should i start my own path i think there needs to be an asterisk next to that particular expression i think it should be don't hate what you do for yeah. sure. And and you won't kill yourself going to work for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. Or or don't hate every part. Yeah. Me and Jim, even buying a house, I love my house. And it was a good investment. It's already paid off a lot of ways. It's good. Everything's great. The boys live with me. We love it. And signing those papers, like there's parts of it that fucking sucked, right? Uh, doing our business stuff. Insurance, calling all these people, meetings with CPAs. I don't like being on the phone with CPAs. That's not fun. But- doing some construction with the boys, choosing our equipment, talking about our future, talking about our community, how we're setting stuff up. That's fun. I want to build a space for people to enjoy themselves, get healthier and find friends. That's all what keeps us going. Yeah, I think don't hate it and don't and and there will be parts that suck. None none of it's this little Instagram dream. And again, social media, us growing up on the internet, uh, another cliche thing, but yeah, people just have false expectations of what what anything is in in life. And I think too that it's easy to 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 uh, get caught up in the idea that the thing that you enjoy doing is the thing you should always do. Yeah, that you that's like your only your only job or whatever is going to be this thing you enjoy doing. Like in this process that we've been in, some of it is is pretty intellectual and some of it is very manual labor. And there are times where I would just so much rather do the the manual labor part of yeah. it than the intellectual part of it because it is it's demanding and it has so much portent and it isn't necessarily immediately satisfying. Yeah. But if I were to decide that because I enjoy the manual labor part of it some of the time as a break from other stuff that I should just be doing the manual yeah, labor. Yeah, just part, become a contractor. Would, it would that would be wrong. Right. That would be that would be a mistake on my part because I would. I would come to hate that and think, oh, this is not mentally challenging enough for me. I or, think that's a really good example because I think that's what people do, whether it be the Corvette. Like, oh, I, every real estate agent I see has a nice car. I'm going to go do real estate. You know, like like if it's that simple of a connection yeah. or even me, I'm, I'm guilty of like 
I think I'm genius and guilty of making all my hobbies, trying to make money. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I play a lot of video games. Now I'm going to stream video games. And then yeah, you stream for 60 hours a week for three years, and they're like, nah, video games just aren't as fun anymore. <laughs> like, I don't really want to do this no more, you know? And, and I still enjoy it from time to time, but you, it's pace, it's passion, it's, yeah. it's plug and play. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, it's, you know, you, Jim, you hit it well that it's all work. And it all, if it's not work now, it becomes work later because sooner or later you're going to realize that you're, you're effectively selling your life to pay your bills. And it doesn't matter what the means are by which you do it. You are exchanging time for money. And is that how you want to be exchanging your time for money? Some, sometimes you just got to do it right. You know, at the beginning of quarantine, when everything was slowing down, uh, coaching business took a hit. Real estate was basically on a standstill. I was delivering groceries for Instacart. And, uh, which by the way, if you, if for anybody listening that needs a job right now, you can make a ton of money doing that. I was, I was making three, 400 bucks a day, uh, delivering groceries for Instacart. Mind you, I was working 12 hour days, but it's, if you're, if you're willing to go and do it, there's great money to be made there. And and that's, that's kind of where my mentality has always been. I'm not prideful, right? I'm, I'm ultimately, I have bills to pay and investments that I want to make and any means necessary to get to that point within, let's say what is ethical is, is fine with me. I, I, I often think about going back into bartending. It's, is that, do I necessarily want to work in the service industry all the time? No, because for anybody who's worked in the service industry, you have some, the lows are super low, the highs are super high. It's like being on a roller coaster of money and emotion, but it's, you know, it's, it's good work. It gets you in front of people. It's just an, uh, I don't know. It, it, It doesn't matter to me ultimately, as long as I'm able to pay my bills and I'm not harming anybody else with the work that I'm doing. I pretty much do whatever. And so it's, I always kind of scoff at the idea of, I can't find a job. Um, and, and, you know, obviously these times are unique and a lot of people actually can't find jobs right now. So don't get me wrong, but rewind three, four years. We're obviously in a completely different economy. Um, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I would have conversations with people who said, oh, I just can't find a job. Yeah. And, and I, I would always scratch my head at that. You know, I've never, I've never not had a job since I was 15. I've, I've literally never had a day where I, where I didn't have an employer of some kind, and whether it's myself or somebody else. So it's, and that's, that's just kind of been my, my mentality is that I, I understand that in order to kind of get to step seven, you have to do steps one through six. And unfortunately steps one through six are, they all involve a ton of work. Yeah. Uh, and you guys are doing that right now with the gym, uh, with the gym, G Y M, not J I M. My phone is so confused lately. Uh, everybody <laughs> says, I, I, I get all that all the time. Um, in terms of like where the rubber meets the road around real estate right now, how are you showing houses? Do you are you physically showing them to people? Or are you walking around with FaceTime, or what are you doing? So there's there's a few different ways to do it. Uh, in terms of showings right now, obviously everybody's very scared with COVID nineteen, and it really depends on the owner of the house who's selling it. Some people don't want to show their house at all, um, which is obviously a little bit of a challenge if you're trying to sell that house from the side of being the person representing the seller or the person representing the buyer. Obviously, a buyer is not going to buy a house sight unseen unless it's a mm. crazy deal, and even then, people are very skeptical, um, especially first time home buyers. They they have this innate need to walk into a place and, and have it feel like home, and uh, which 
by all means, go for it. Typically, it doesn't work out that way. But it's basically there's this document that people have to sign right now, um, what's called the PEAD form, Coronavirus Entry Advisory. And it basically says, wear a mask, wash your hands, wear gloves if you don't mind wearing gloves. Gives this list of standards that people follow. And everybody has to sign it acknowledging that you understand the risks and the advisories and as long as there's nobody in the house that people are letting people are letting you do in-person viewings right now. I've been doing some showings in Newport beach, typically in homes that are unoccupied. Uh, as a general rule, you do really don't want to show a home with the owner in it anyway, but mm. it's basically as long as the other agents there, everybody has masks on, you can show homes right now. Um, is that necessarily the best thing to be doing in the middle of a pandemic? Well, Maybe not, but it's also an, in, an inherently socially distant activity. You, 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 you don't have to come within 10 feet of anybody in order to show them a home. All you have to do is unlock the door and let them walk in and stand within earshot so that you can answer questions as they come up. So I, I would imagine there's probably still a lot of people who aren't following the standards the way they should be. Again, it's, it's a very, very loosely – well, it's, it's a tightly regulated industry, but also very loosely monitored. Uh, it's one of those things where you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you get caught, but there's not really anybody out looking for you. Um, if you're doing things that are considered unethical or illegal, um, which, you know, I have not done any of, that's not why I know that I just recognize <laughs> the situation that I'm in. Um, so yeah, I mean, people are showing houses. I sold a house in April, um, and, uh, we were, we were doing showings all throughout March and I was attending inspections and doing all of that stuff. And so it's certainly, it's certainly still moving. And it's, it's an interesting market right now because obviously in times of economic uncertainty, as well as surrounding elections, people tend to want to hold on to their money. And so it's this weird kind of clashing of things right now where there's not a lot of houses for sale because people think we're in a falling market. Um, a lot of signs say we should be, but in terms of the numbers, how home sales, home sales prices are not actually declining right now. Um, but that's kind of due to economic forces related to supply and demand. So not a lot of supply on the market right now. There's not a ton of homes for sale as compared to this time last year. I think it's something like 50% of the available homes that you could go to purchase right now as compared to this time last year. And uh, But buyers are still, people still want to buy homes, right? And especially when you talk about these luxury markets, people who can afford a $2 million house, not really very impacted by this current issue sure. because they're sitting on, you know, let's just say a conventional loan down payment for a home like that. You're talking about 400 grand. So that's anybody who's got 400 grand sitting around in a bank account, probably not so impacted by this issue. And interest rates are just asinine right now. Banks are just giving away money. And so it's, it's this interesting combination of the haves still can. They still want the inventory is low, so prices stay high, right? They're not really so much escalating at this point, but they're not really dropping either. Uh, and that we may see that coming into the spring of next year, following this election, whatever happens, uh, that that things will change. My, my suspicion is coming into next year as the pandemic calms down that we're going to see probably the market go in whichever direction it is trending toward, whether it be rising or falling. We're going to see that all kind of come to fruition pretty aggressively in the first quarter of next year. Uh, don't quote me on that. I'm not an economist, but it's, you know, and anybody who tells you anything for certain, right, yeah. is is usually uh, a good rule of thumb is that there are no good rules of thumb about where <laughs> economics are headed. Um so it's, yeah, it's been interesting, 
but people are still looking at homes and people are still trying to buy. Financing is still out there. And you find that in these periods of time where things get a little tighter and there's less people buying, the regulations tend to relax about how, how they give out loans and things like that, which is which is kind of fucked up, really. But yeah, kind of backwards. Yeah, it, it's but, the, you know, ultimately the big swinging dicks of the Bank of America and the, uh, Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan Chase have a lot of sway in, in the way dis- the decisions are made and policy choices, uh, you know, which, again, is a different political conversation, Citizens United and all that. But it's they're basically they're able to influence the market forces in such a way where they can offset slowing of certain sectors of business by speeding up other sectors of business, whether ethically or otherwise. So it's interesting. The market is moving. People who are working are still working. Agents who aren't working are unemployed. And, um, you know, you're effectively unemployed as an agent at all times anyway, unless you're actively working with a buyer or seller. So it's, it, it, it's certainly not the most comfortable thing to do if you can't stomach that. And if you're not good at saving, um, that's, that's another, another lost art these days, right? It's most of the people my age that I talk to have a zero balance in any kind of investment account and a negative balance in, on their overall balance sheet because of student loans or whatever other kinds of debt they may have incurred along the way because they wanted to intend a fancy private institution out of state. And, um, you know, I, I kind of was talking to somebody yesterday or the day before. And she had, uh, I think like $150,000 in student debt. Um, and she's a nurse. She had graduated a few years ago, had been paying it aggressively and, uh, and was still kind of buried under almost $2,000 a month in student loan payments, which is yeah asinine. But I don't think that's like not normal. Like, I think that's a lot of people. That's a whole lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we have a student loan debt crisis like looming all the time now. Yeah. Um, to shift gears a little bit, were you? Did I catch that you were one of the actually like founding members of of TSA? Uh, but I mean, yeah, I sort of. I guess I, I was. I was there from basically day one of when the company started. Uh, uh, it's yeah, I've been with them since the beginning. Um, how? Just what do you think the trajectory of of uh, coaching companies is like right now and then like things are picking back up because people are are, are back in uh, uh, in gyms but do you see that we're going to snap back to the previous model or is there something new uh, new element to to the kind of coaching you do going forward you ask an interesting question um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's you know, as with any, pretty much any industry with a service provider, uh, over time, the effort at really high levels is to pay people less to provide that service, especially if it's repeatable. Um, so everybody is trying to automate coaching right now, um, using fancy catchphrases like artificial intelligence for things that aren't artificial intelligence. And, um, and kind of trying to sell these things that aren't what they're claiming they are. Um, and the fact of the matter is that there is a certain degree of human input that, based on my current understanding, is hard to replace. But a lot of the decision-making that goes into writing effective training protocols can be recreated algorithmically. You can you can create a piece of software that can can make a lot of those 
surface level decisions. A lot of the deeper stuff, a lot of the pattern observation, a lot of, you know, recognizing things about athletes that you've been working with for an extended period of time. You can't really replace that in a computer. But in terms of actually creating programs for the masses, it can it can certainly be uh, largely automated. And, you know, that's the path that I think anybody who is a forward thinking coach or coaching brand owner uh, is is pushing toward. Uh, if they are making current efforts about it, they are stressing about the fact that other companies are. And so that, I mean, honestly, that's where I see it as heading. Uh, I don't think coaching will ever really kind of go out of business per se. I just think that the the big chunk of it is going to shift toward more of a service that is kind of soft touch from the coach's standpoint where the programming is created and you basically have access to somebody to ask questions and the programming is mostly handled by a computer outside of problems. Um, that's my expectation. Uh, not that I'm saying that we're making anything like that or that we aren't, but it's, <laughs> it's, I hope Bryce is listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, well, it's, you know, I'm, 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 there's, there's yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot of steps involved. And if you know anything about the strength athlete, we're not going to put out a coaching product that is going to do anything, but hopefully make people stronger and not injure them along the way. And I yep. think that, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of what we've seen so far has been brands kind of putting a product out that has led to a lot of injuries and, you know, essentially beta testing a program on people um, that wasn't, wasn't really ready to, to run on its own. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of really good points when I think of any business, especially a service, like you said, or gyms, there's always kind of like a three tiered in my mind and it goes on the individual, what money they make as a, as a human and, and what they need psychologically that fits them into a category. Um, in a gym, it's uh, what is it, Planet Fitness, $9. Either I, I pay that a month to kind of feel good that I go to the gym or I just hop on to some piece of shit equipment and watch TV while I do it. Then maybe there's a 24-hour fitness. Maybe it's 50 bucks. You, you, they have some free weights and maybe some people that know how they lift and like would go there. And then there's maybe like a barber brigade, untamed strength, whatever, a little bit more expensive. But you like lifting weights, you want specialty equipment, you want an environment, you want people around. Coaching's the same thing. Generally, you got some templates. Can you get strong on a template? Yeah. Tons of people have. Tons of people have gotten strong making shit up. They have no clue what's going on. They, yeah, today I'll do threes. Yeah, tomorrow I'll do twelves. And today I'm going to throw a 315 on. See how many times I can do it. Is it optimal? Maybe not. But a lot of people have gotten strong that way. Then there's the next level. Like I think you're kind of talking about maybe template-y, maybe group coaching-y. Maybe a CrossFit-ish model, whether it's a class in person or a class version online where you kind of have an idea uh, template and then you kind of bounce off ideas to get semi-customized. And then uh, something I always recommend is you and Bryce because I know you as, as humans. I know you as coaches. Uh, you guys have a passion for coaching. You have a passion for programming. And you have a passion for taking care of the individual, which then would be the premium uh, service too. You pay a little bit more. Uh, but you're going to get someone that cares about your success, that cares about you as a human, and you're going to have, I don't, you know, I don't want to quote your guys' sales, but you have interaction with people, right? Like, I don't know your exact protocol, but you have either email, some people do FaceTime, some people do text, whatever it might be. You have a coach looking at what you do, how you perform, and how you're doing it. Um, do you see one thing, I guess you said for the programming, swaying towards the middle, you think, uh, where there's some coach interaction, but maybe smart-ish templates or varied templates or semi-customizable, whatever term we want to use. Cause yeah. Yeah. It's not it, Elon Musk writing it. Uh, but what <laughs> about the gym, the gym system too? Do you think the gym is kind of falling towards that middle or do you think the gym's going to lean one way? Obviously CrossFit's in some political and business 
chaos, but... Uh, and there's not that many gyms. That's the other thing. People are like, well, obviously we get a bunch of internet comments like Third Street, like Sacramento. Then has like three gyms. Like, bro, Sacramento has. We stretch all the way to San Francisco and Tahoe. Like, mm. Allen's fit twenty miles away. Like, I know there's not a lot of powerlifting gyms, and me and Allen just happen to be in Sacramento. Uh, but there's room for those all over the country too, like a specialized gym yeah. because they're, they're they're nowhere. Like near you, what there? There's one, right? Like within, uh, yeah, SoCal Powerlifting is the only one that's close to me right now. Yeah, well, well there's, there's two actually. Um, there's, it's, it, there's not a lot. Right, but people think like, well, SoCal, like SoCal Powerlifting must be direct competition for Barber Brigade. They're both Southern California. Like Barber Brigade's what, like eighty miles away or something stupid? Yeah, it's the gym business is interesting, and I think that something that CrossFit did really right. Um, Something they did really wrong was, you know, being publicly bigoted. But um, something they did <laughs> really right was creating a community. They managed to take barbell sport and make it a team sport, yep. and, and that was that was such an intangible billion dollar idea that nobody had done correctly before. You know, because if you were to go into a powerlifting gym in the mid '90s, it would have been awesome. But I say that from the perspective of of a long-term training kind of seasoned powerlifter. But if you were wanting to get into strength training and you were off the street and you were to, you know, go and knock on the door of West Side Barbell, um, you know, you'd probably get pushed back into the street. Yeah. And um, and that was kind of the the culture for a long time. And, you know, that's how a lot of people thought about powerlifting was that it was a bunch of fat, sweaty dudes doing a bunch of drugs and um, and not being They're not friendly. wrong. They're not, no, they're not wrong. <laughs> right, right. There, there still are a bunch of fat, sweaty dudes doing a bunch of drugs and not being very friendly. But that's not the only people who are in power. <laughs> that's not everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's that's not what the the community looks like. If anything, that's the, for sure a very small minority these days. Yeah. And, and it's it's about the fact that these people are able to lift each other up and, and to to empower each other to get stronger and to be successful and to love training and to come and be part of your community on a regular basis. And it, it's an interesting time for gyms, especially because a lot of these big box gyms are facing some very serious economic hard times right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't doubt that they're all going to get bought out by some brand, right? LA Fitness might buy 24-hour fitness or yeah. whatever. Um, I don't doubt that these gyms will will weather the storm, right? Because, you know, the I, I actually live maybe two miles away from one of the busiest twenty four hour fitness in the entire co- in the entire company, and I would go in there at any given time, and there were probably two hundred people in that gym, and, and any time of the day from from yeah. you know, then they were open twenty four hours a day, so they were busy all the time, and they had a nice selection of equipment, decent trainers, so it's it it, it would really surprise me. The, if they were to create a vacuum in that space and nobody was to recreate that. Um, but I think that a lot of people are getting pushed towards these kind of more performance oriented gyms where they do have those communities. And I think that's going to be what separates the the do's from the don'ts in the long term are the people who do effectively create a community within their gym. You brought up Barbell Brigade. They did a fantastic job with that when they were first kind of landing on the scene of powerlifting. Barbell Brigade created the LA powerlifting scene pretty yeah. much they they you know and whether whether you agree with anything that they do business wise or not they did extremely well creating kind of the 
I can't use the term Mecca here because that applies to one gym only, but the West Coast hub, hub, hub. yeah, yeah, the the Southern California hub of powerlifting. And they did a really great job with that because of the fact that they had such a cool community. You could be anybody off the street and walk into that gym and Barquan is going to come and say hi to you. And people ate that shit up. And, you know, a lot of the crotchety powerlifters didn't love that, but ultimately, you know, they're one of many members that go to that gym and a lot of people go to those places to be social as well as to train sure and you know grumpy grumpy me would be like oh, i'm here to train i don't want to talk but <laughs> it's i certainly understand the appeal and from a business standpoint it makes more sense um crossfit i hope crossfit doesn't die out they've created a generation of people with big butts and <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> I, I, I think everybody should be grateful to CrossFit for for inspiring a generation of glute lovers and glute havers. And um, yeah, I mean that's all I have to say about CrossFit. That's, that's always what what I tell people. It, it, that's the one it, positive. Yeah, I mean it's you. There is if you were to take an average measurement of diameter or excuse me circumference of butt cheeks on fit people. 10 years ago versus now, I bet you that yeah. butt cheeks are going to have a greater circumference. Yeah, they did do a good job of making like deadlifting and squatting cool. And I, I think powerlifting did in some terms too and YouTube and you know all that. But uh, they did make it way cooler than than just, what, 1990 to 2005. Just bench pressing was cool. Having big yeah. biceps was cool. But now uh, glutes as long as all the memes and, and everybody out there. So I couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, since I don't think that we're going to beat big CrossFit butts, in terms of content for this particular episode, although I think we could probably talk all day, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, I mean, my predominant social media is going to be Instagram. It's at Hanny, H-A-N-I underscore T-S-A. I uh, unfortunately have not been super active on there lately because I haven't really been training very much. And it's mostly just, mm. you know, my boring rehab training footage at this point. But and your doggy. Um, sorry? And your doggy. And my dog, yeah. He was at the groomer currently, but um, I have a 10-month-old blue pit bull named Riley, and he is a he's like equal parts monster and the love of my life. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he's uh, he's a good dog, though. He's, he's coming along. And, um, yeah, you can definitely find me on Instagram. I respond to DMs from everybody, and uh, you can also email me, uh, Hanny, H-A-N-I, at thestrengthathlete.com if you want to talk about coaching or uh, if you want to check out any of our free stuff on our website. We have some free programs on there. Mike, you mentioned some templates. Um, yep. We have templates built for intermediate and beginner lifters that are free and have been tremendously well-received uh, by the powerlifting community. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love the opportunity to chat with anybody about anything we've talked about here powerlifting business or otherwise yeah i was gonna say real estatey things if they got questions or oh, yeah. local or anything instagram yeah absolutely instagram's great for that i um yeah you know of course if anybody wants to reach out to me and ask about real estate more than happy to help on that front um and yeah it'd be my pleasure sweet ladies and gentlemen thanks for tuning in Brand new episodes every single Wednesday. Hopefully, when COVID's over, buddy, we can grab a training session or a beer or, or I don't know, something normal. Uh, appreciate you take, uh, taking the time to chat with us, even though I know you're stuck at home just like us, and but you're a busy man. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, sell the mic, Instagram, Twitter, wherever the hell you want to find me. You can find me on all the social medias at the Jim McD. The, so, the podcast is, I was if yeah, I get hit it. The gym is 3sb.co. You go there, yeah. you can sign up for updates on, uh, as Mike would say, local memberships and international fresh fits. I, coming real soon. Coming pretty pretty damn soon, uh, at least in terms of the uh, apparel. 
and this podcast is 50% Facts, where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers, and so is the website. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. 